welcome into another episode of Hockey Royalty, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. Talking all things Kings in Ontario rain. We got an excellent show today talking around, talking about stuff around the NHL, some signings, the Mikey Anderson signing finally drops, uh, as well as the cause and effect of Drew Doughty being back in the decor. Will we see the points elevate? Will he be able to carry the team? Stay tuned, like and subscribe, and join in the chat. boys welcome in welcome in how are you guys doing week one of football in the books joe with a with a dub for his giants week one that hasn't happened since since the 70s it seems like for him we were just talking about that before he came in so i'm sure he's pretty happy about that how you doing joe fired up like i said i felt like the giants haven't won a game in years and to do it the way they did it uh going for two at the end there love it with dable that's the way to do it and Tried to let it go with some help of the officials, but uh, luckily a missed kick, and the Giants are one and zero. Cowboys are zero and one, and I hate them. So we're in, we're in business here. <laughs> For now, uh, tale tale of two uh, two games there. It seems like with the uh, with the LA region, the Rams get shellacked on Thursday night, just absolute bruising. The Chargers come back and beat division rival uh, in the Raiders. How you doing, Russ? What do you think about that win for your Chargers? Chargers are good. Finally have a pretty good run defense, it seems like. And Khalil Mack, man, what a pickup that turns out to be. So if he can stay healthy, Joey Bosa and him together are going to cause a lot of havoc. Yeah, it seemed like they were getting to the quarterback all day long. We'll see how much that Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen injury will help you guys. Obviously won't be there uh, Thursday night when people are listening to this in their cars. If you're watching live at Wednesday night, uh, he's definitely not going to be out. So Coming up here, we got lots of Richard already excited for the rookie tournament starting up. So are we. Uh, we talked about that last week. So if you guys didn't hear about our thoughts, go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, but we're going to get started out with around the NHL here. Uh, some minor signings and a big one. Uh, so, you know, Evan Rodriguez goes to Colorado. Uh, Co- uh, Cody Aiken uh, with a PTO to Calgary. Kings do a signing, a small PTO signing of their own in Nate Thompson. Uh, but uh, Cairo uh, extension, massive extension with the Blues, uh, was the biggest news out of the week around the NHL. What do you guys, boys? What do you boys think about that uh, signing for for St. Louis? Stud. Um, he's a stud, and I, again, I, we're it's a it's a growing trend I think that we're seeing of these teams trying to lock in their young stars, um, and Cairo is just that. And um, I. <laughs> Like I said with Stutzel, I love it. I mean, I think Cairo is is a great player. He's got, I think he's got a year left though on his uh, his current deal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then he'll be 25, I think, when this kicks in. And good for him, great for the Blues. Um, I think he's a heck of a player. He's making 2.8 this year, uh, and so that won't kick in, like you said, till next year. Kind of weird that there's no uh, no trade clauses that come in effect half like two years into the contract, so they can still trade him if they want to. In the first two years, I don't know why you would sign a guy and trade him right away, but uh, assigns a eight-year, sixty-five million, uh, which comes out to be eight point one uh, cap hit per year. No signing bonuses, no player bonuses, so just all salary uh, coming in. N- nothing getting nothing up front. Uh, Russell, what do you think about uh, that contract there, and how does this affect the Blues? Yeah, I think it's a great deal for the Blues. They're showing some uh, investment in their young stars. They. Gave him the same deal that they gave Robert Thomas, who's another good young player for them. So um, it's kind of a little similar to the Mikey Anderson situation that we'll talk about a little later here. Um, he was given a two-year deal, probably could have given given himself a little bit more, rewarded himself a little bit more, um, but he bet on himself, and then it turned out to work out pretty well. So he got a, the long-term deal he was looking for at a pretty good uh, uh, terms or at a pretty good AAV. So. Uh, got to be happy for the player. Got to be happy for the team. Um, they're kind of building a new young core there, uh, and it seems like the Blues are kind of just turning a, turning a new leaf and kind of bringing a new team. You don't see the players like we used to see back in the day when the Kings were in the playoffs there anymore. So it's a new young Blues team, but I'm liking the way the the team that they're building. I've seen a few of these kind deals. Of those, they're doing kind of a little reshuffle instead of a rebuild over there in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, they're doing pretty good. Seen a few of these deals where these these players are having one kind of big year and they're getting paid off of it. We've seen it with Kempe, saw it with with Tage Thompson, Tim Stutzla, 
And now with Cairo had a, a solid year prior, 35 points in 55 games in what was really his first full NHL season. Um, and then his second season, he, you know, is a point of game guy and all of a sudden, bang, he gets paid. But again, like all the makings, all the signs were there that season prior when he had that 35 points in 55 games, you, it was there. Like you see this coming, him having a point per game was not surprising at all. And so that's why I think when Tim Stutzler goes out and gets a point a game this year, that's not going to be a surprise to anybody and it's going to validate the contract. And so I tie all of these back to, because really was, I think Kempe was the first of these guys to kind of have this big year. He signed before these, these two. And I wonder what he's thinking at this stage. I wonder in that it's, I'm interested because he's coming off a 35 goal year. Again, all of the signs were slowly starting he was kind of percolating a bit. He gets finally a bigger role with Kopitar and all of a sudden he pops off for a pretty big season. Um, not apples to apples, I know, but you wonder if, if he waited just a little bit to get that deal done, what his deal looks like. And I know we talked about a longer term deal with Kempe and the reason that, that I was okay with it was to potentially keep the AAV down. Now he's going to be 29 at the end of his deal, assuming he performs similar to, you know, what he has done and then it, and hopefully even improves a bit. Now you're talking paying the guy $9 million. Whereas Russ, I know we talked about, you know, is this a deal where you could sign him for six, seven years at five and a half, even five and a half to six, which is a lot right now, but it's going to be great by, you know, four or five years down the road. So, you know, I, I that's how I want to do it. And I think we need to start, because a lot of people get a little frustrated with these deals that, you know, look what he's done. He hasn't done anything or he hasn't done enough to stop looking at what we've done and look at what these players, we expect them to do or the team expects them to do. Yes, there's inherent risk in that, right? That it's, it is unknown, but paying for past makes almost worse sense to me. So mm -hmm. I'd rather pay a guy when all the signs are there that he's going to be a great player. You saw it with Stutzler, so you saw it with, with Kairou and, and these are two examples. Yeah, we talked about this last week with Stutzla. It's like you're seeing these teams now start to bet on this the future of these young stars, which makes a lot of sense. You don't want to be behind the eight ball when you have a player like Stutzla who's going to put up a point-per-game season. Then all of a sudden he's a RFA for the team. He's put up 85-plus seasons a couple, a couple years now, so now he's going to have even more money, maybe even right. nine, even close to ten. So, I mean, it makes more sense now that GMs – I mean, you don't want to be in salary cap hell, but uh, it's – it's interesting because once the rumors came up that the salary cap was probably going to raise quite a bit a couple of years from now, you're starting to see these deals come out more and more, like the Stutzler deal, the Thomas deal, this Kairou deal. Um, so, I mean, I wonder if teams now are got a little bit more leeway in their future plans and the salary cap. Yeah, and if you're a team that if you think these guys are going to be that good of players, like, and you know the cap's going to be going up, man, $8 million on a cap that's going to be going up, you know, that's going to look a lot better than than 10 11 12 million depending for mm -hmm. some of these guys so i i i'm on board with it there's going to be critics and when one of these inevitably doesn't go well then everybody's going to think that's the horrible idea but i i think it's a pretty smart way to go richard coming in here byfold will earn his money when he dominates this season Hope so. we talked about it last week a little bit i think there's we've seen it a little bit right so you see stutzel getting that eight year you're seeing these guys getting eight year deals but the cap situation is different for the Kings. Kopitar still got his $11 million contract on there. Will the Kings have to sign him to like a two-year, $2.8 million that we saw with Jordan and allow him to get that number one, number two center money? Or will they be able to do, will they be able to afford an eight-year, you know, five, six, seven million dollar deal, even though he would play, he's going to play third line minutes this season? Well, Byfield's contract actually ends same year as Kopitar's so I mean there, there will be a little leeway for the Kings to maybe give Byfield that kind of two-slow deal if he does perform at that level so you do you do have a little bit of flexibility but I don't know I, unless Byfield really kind of just pops off these next two seasons which he could I mean he's he's shown a little bit of potential um the last season and toward the end of the year so I mean, it could happen, but I just, I just don't see it happening. So I think it'd be best maybe for the Kings if, 
I mean, you paid him maybe five, six million, and you can kind of keep Kopitar around, maybe add a little bit uh, more to the back end. You're kind of still looking for that left shot D man still. So I don't know. I think the Kings and Rob Blake have kind of learned a little bit from past, I guess, salary cap problems that they've had to not want to be in that situation again. So, but Byfield's uh, contract will be interesting. But, and it'll be all based on his performance these next two mm-hmm. years. And I forgot about yeah. the entry level slide. That's why, yeah, he's he'll not ending this year. And and Kyra's year before, I think it, it worked out to be roughly uh, 0.65 points per game. It's 35 points in 55 games, I think is r- roughly what it is. Along those lines, Byfield would have to put up a 55 point season if he were to play an 82 point or 82 game season. So if Byfield is coming off a 55 point season and he's showing that progression, and he does that as a third line player, you know, maybe getting some PP time, you might be looking at a guy that you drafted number two overall to be an absolute stud. So mm-hmm. maybe you consider paying the guy right before he has his the last deal of his, last year's entry level and he pops off for a point a game and you're paying him ten million. I don't know. I mean, I think it's at least worthy of a conversation, but you got to see how he performs this year, right? Yeah. All right, guys, we're going over here. But first, before we get going into the, all the Kings talk here, we're going to get a word from our sponsors here at the Hockey Podcast Network and Hockey Royalty from DraftKings. The, the NFL opening week was action-packed, and it was just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. You want even more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's super simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win, and if your team leads by 10 points at any point in the game, you get paid instantly, even if that team loses. Download DraftKings Sportsbook map now. Use promo code THPN to get $200 in free bets instantly. When you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. A minimum age and eligibility restrictions may apply. See show notes for details. So coming in here, boys, we got the big signing. Mikey Anderson uh, finally off the board. People's panic can cease because... A lot of people thought it's going to be four million, five million. We're going to have to ship out all these players, and to everybody's surprise, taking that one year, one million. And we were talking about it before we came on here with signing bonuses and player incentives last season. Mikey Anderson would make more money last season than he's going to make this season. So definitely a team friendly deal. How surprised were you guys by this? I was really surprised. I mean, to be honest with you, it's you're kind of everybody was expecting it to be at least two million, a couple years maybe. But there, there's a couple ways to look at this. Is uh, Rob Blake? There's one way. Is Rob Blake working his magic once again? Just he's been known to get these really good players at really good uh, on really good contracts. Or you can look at it like Mikey Anderson kind of being a, a team friendly guy and and knowing what the salary cap situation is for the Kings and and taking a lesser term and a lesser uh, uh, AAV. So, I mean, one year, one million for a top four D-man. How can you be upset? So it, it, the one thing that would be interesting to watch, though, with this deal is to see how this affects Sean Jersey's deal. Because with Mikey Anderson, if he's only getting one year, one mil, he's played more games than Sean Jersey. Well, albeit Sean Jersey had more points in his one season, but they're both the same age. Uh, they're both RFAs. Mikey Anderson saw the team salary cap and – and took one year, one mil. Is Sean Dersey kind of kind of do the same thing and and be like, hey, I'll I'll, I'll be the team friendly guy too, or is he going to look to get a little bit more um, bread for himself? So that'll be something to watch. But for Mikey Anderson, I mean, you just have to appreciate what he's done uh, as a teammate to get this lesser term uh, contract and probably what he's worth. The first thing when I saw this was. The first thing that jumped out to me was this is two two sides that just they did not come to an agreement and they said let's kick this can down the road. If this was the deal that they were all happy with, this would have been done two months ago. So for whatever reason, the two sides, and I'm not to say that it was like contentious in any way. That's not what I'm getting. It's just maybe the Kings wanted a longer term deal at a certain number. Maybe Mikey wanted more of a bridge at a slightly larger number, and all things. At the end of the day, the two sides said, "Listen, let's." Let's just get this done, you know, get back to camp, get to camp, get it done, 
get on the ice and let's play. We'll, we'll get this figured out. I don't want to sit here. I mean, it's obviously great for the short term. It's great for one year. As Russ said, you got a top pair defenseman for a million dollars. doesn't get much better than that. I mean, I'm not going to like award Blake GM of the year, or I'm not going to go hug Mikey Anderson because he's a team friendly guy. I just think it's two sides. They, they, didn't come to some whatever agreement they couldn't come to uh, uh, based on what either side probably preferred. And they just said, let's just kick this can down the road. That's all. I, I don't know that it's much more than that. You know, I, there's a lot, it depends how crazy you want to get and how down the rabbit hole you want to go with it. But um, well, let's I, go down that rabbit hole. Do you okay. think, do you think that the, the next extension is already in place? Hey, let's sign a one-year deal. We, we're going to sign you mid season. To a four or five year deal at four million, we have more cap space next year. Let's if just... that's the case, then then yes, then Rob Blake, assuming the number and years and all that stuff is is right, then yes, then he just continues to rack up wins. Does Rob Blake, um, and and then you yeah you you again even more so to to, to Anderson to say you know I'm you know being a team friendly guy. If that's the case, I, it's so much speculation, right, for us to sit here and say that. Um, so I don't know um, if that's one way you can go. The other way you could go uh, is maybe it was a little contentious. Maybe Mike Anderson's like, hey, I'm the number one lefty on this team, and I kind of want to get paid like it. Uh, even if it's, in, you know, again, maybe my thought was the Kings were going to be looking at something like a, a longer-term deal, maybe a, a five-year deal, a six-year deal at like two, mm -hmm. two and a half mil. And maybe Anderson said, you know what? I kind of prefer like a two, three at three uh, type of deal, and the and three, three and a half, and the two sides just were were not there, right? So there's different ways to go with this. I think we'll know our answer when this next deal gets done, right? If we're sitting here a year from now and Mikey Anderson's still not signed as another RFA, that means things maybe just aren't going as well as we thought. But I don't want to necessarily go down that road. It's just that's a possibility, right? Yeah, and since they maybe couldn't come to that agreement with that, uh, I guess, higher term and the higher AAV, Mikey Anderson didn't really have much pull in the negotiations. Mm -hmm. He's an RFA, so all he could really do is sit out and not play at all. And and if he didn't sign a contract by December, then he wouldn't have been able to play anywhere in the NHL. Right. So, I mean, one Which year, one Which he could have done. So I guess you could say you alluded to it earlier that maybe that, you know, Mikey Anderson being a team guy, like, I guess in theory he could have done that, right? If he really wanted to to dig his heels in, um, but he didn't. Yeah, I mean, and he doesn't come across as the type of player that would no. do that either. No. Yeah, so I mean, there there is that sense to to the point where he's he's willing to to play on that deal and and sort of bet on himself. And uh, that is interesting, Randon. That it, there could be some unofficial kind of under the table contract, maybe on written already for Mikey Anderson that they could sign uh, halfway through the season just to kind of show his appreciation. Because with Mikey Anderson, you you know what his floor is. His floor is a shutdown defenseman. He's not going to be – he has 20 points in 117 games in the NHL. He's not the flashiest skater. He's not the, he's not the point producer from, from the back end like a Sean Dersey or Drew Doughty is. He's going to play good defensive shutdown minutes. And for that, you, you know what you're going to get out of him all the time. So – to have that deal, that's why we were kind of just expecting a long-term deal because we know we're going to get out of Mikey Anderson for the long term. So that that was interesting. But the thing I'll point out to you guys is, imagine if offer sheets were still were a thing. The Kings would have been absolutely screwed if a team came in and offered Mikey Anderson a five, six-year deal at four or five million dollars. What what would the Kings have done? They they, I mean, they would have had their hands tied trying to match that and try to figure out some way to keep him. Or, I mean, that that's something that I, immediately caught my eyes. Like, man, if if that's only one year, one mil, and a, a team had the chance to give him a little bit more, uh, man, yeah, that would have been... Uh, well, that surprise. article that came out earlier this summer that somebody wrote that said that they were going to do, you know, make offers. One team could make offers on both Kempe and Anderson and steal whatever player the Kings decide not to protect because it would yeah, be impossible exactly. for us to sign both. So, you know, it didn't happen. Um, I mean, everybody was panicking. You know, I, I think you look at deals like this, and, and for the last several years in the NFL for my Niners, it's been guys trying to get top dollar at their position. Obviously, Mikey Anderson's not a top dollar left shot D, but if he's 
in contention and his and his views like, hey, I have been. Yeah, I know you want to pay for the Kings want to pay, play or pay for future success. We hope that Mike Anderson's not our left shot D one going forward. That we have a more dynamic player in there, and we have him as a very solid LD two. And Mike Anderson's like, well, I don't care what you want to call it in the future. The last three years, I have been LD one. I have been put in the in the tough minutes. I was one of the major reasons that we were able to hang with Edmonton for seven games, and I deserve to be paid like it. And I think there could be very much contention in that spot if you throw that crystal ball out there, like you said, Joe, a year from now, and we're talking about the same thing about what he's going to get paid. Maybe just the viewpoint of what Mikey Anderson thinks he is in the NHL versus what the Kings do is just very, very far apart. Yeah, and again, we're we're obviously just throwing out uh, various scenarios here and we'll we'll probably know more sooner than later right so at some point in this season because i figure if if there is this mutual like you know what we're we're close here but cap situation let's just do this now then i would imagine that there's some sort of announcement maybe even midway through the season that this gets done something like that right um so we'll see i i I think we'll, we'll we're speculating but we'll know later uh our answer will be given like if 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 they come to a long-term agreement then we knew they were probably pretty close Uh, it's just maybe cap constraints couldn't get it done this year i want so going on to this next part here i think with the mikey anderson (laughs) thing is obviously jersey's the next one to be signed that needs to be signed they have quite a bit of cap space now uh but you know more rabbit hole stuff do they saying that they were able to keep it to one mil does this maybe kind of feel like a move to where they're keeping enough cap space to make a move at the deadline, hoping that they're in contention again, or are they trying to keep more people on the NHL roster because, you know, they don't want so many of these players to go down through waivers and they're going to cycle a lot of these forwards in. Do you think there's any roster construction ramifications to the contract only being a million dollars? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think it's, it gives Rob Blake a lot more flexibility in terms of trying to make a, a move or a trade mid, midway through the season or during the season. I mean, we were, we were kind of speculating that the Kings would be pretty much like right up against the cap. And now it's looking like they could have maybe two, even close to $3 million in salary cap space, depending on what the Sean Dersey deal comes in. Um, and then, so you have a lot of um, prorated deals too, when the trades hit. So you have a little bit more flexibility when you make a trade. So now, I mean, there's a possibility we could see uh, that left shot defenseman that we've been talking about for so long come to the Kings uh, close November or December because you have that a little bit more flexibility now. <laughs> Just to play this game a little bit, if, let's hypothetically say that's the case, Russ. Now what does Mikey Dersey, Mikey Anderson, Mikey Dersey, I call him, what does Mikey Anderson get if they do bring in a left shot defense? And as you alluded to a couple pods ago, Travis Sanheim, LA King deadline acquisition. There's your LD1. Like now what is – now is – this is where it maybe hurts Mikey Anderson to take this deal, right? Because maybe now his value to the Kings is not as much as it was when you have a Sandheim or insert acquisition here. Again, pure speculation here, but it's a fascinating situation with, with Anderson on the left side of the D because if you bring someone in, chances are uh, it's a bit more of a proven kind of dual threat NHL player than, than maybe Anderson is. So I, I, it's, it's kind of fascinating to me how it's all going to shake out and, and what we'll see. I think Anderson, we, as we've talked about, I love him slotted in top four on the second pair with a, with a dynamic kind of maybe a Jersey type down the road, ironically, who's, you know, unsigned as well, or somebody like that, like that offensive type of defenseman. And we, the Kings are able to sign a, a more impact uh, top pair lefty, but still, Point being, is it's a fascinating situation. Um, interested to see how it all shakes out because, yeah, if they go and sign Jersey to an extension midway, say, before the deadline, how does that impact what they do at the deadline and what type of player they look at at the deadline for on the back end? It's 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 interesting. But to answer your question, Randon, yeah, a, a deal like this that comes in less than than what was expected, sure, of course, it gives a little bit more flexibility to uh, to Blake. Yeah, you can also see, you could see them. They have a lot of extra forwards. They could be sending some guys out uh, in these trades in the midway to make even more space. But I think the biggest trickle down effect is the possibility that we thought that they'd have to move a contract out. And that number one name being talked about was Ayafalo. And now you're looking at a leg- legit third line of of Kaliev, Byfield, and Ayafalo, a, a premier defensive forward 
playing with two young guys, that third line can be very well balanced where you see what we talked about last podcast with the roles, right? You're going to have that I follow the go-getter type, the shooter and, and the facilitator to where that third line can be very effective. Where we saw last season, even though the fourth line was the fourth line on the books, they definitely earned more playing time. I think this is huge for Byfield and his progression as a player. And I think for the Kings on the third line, being able to keep Iofalo, um, you know, barring that Jersey doesn't sign for four or $5 million, which we don't foresee happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, we talked about this a little bit last time as we kind of have our lines penciled in and we kind of talked about like, what if there's some surprises here? Like what if they just keep Kaliev down on the fourth line because it works so well. And all of a sudden, does that hurt Byfield? Like if, Instead of having Kaliev on his wing, it's Grunstrom, and it's a it's a Byfield Iafalo Grunstrom instead of Byfield Iafalo Kaliev trio. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm really curious to see come training camp, you know, maybe what some of the the pairings are, some of the combos are, and and when they play in games, what some combinations that we see uh, look like because, you know, we're, we are all making assumptions what we think the lines are, and you know, uh, we'll see. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. That's what Kings fans want. So right. All the assumptions out here. Right. I think it. I think it does hurt Byfield progression. Right. This is huge for Byfield to have I follow there, a guy that's played with Kopitar. And if you don't have a score on that line, and like they're treated as a checking line because of the skill sets, I think that does hamper because then you're relying on Byfield to do all the scoring for that line. Where if you have a legit scorer or facilitator, or another facilitator like Velarde, or if you have a scorer like Kaliev, like that kind of that load is lessened. But then if you have a bruiser and a defensive-minded player, and he's relied on the sole point offense of, of that line, I think that could definitely hurt. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, well, but that line, that fourth line that we were just talking about with Kaliev, Lazat, and Lemieux, it was just, it was so good. That's why we, we kind of go back to it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've i said multiple times, I just want to see Kaliev and Byfield play together just because they're the fr- fr- future of the franchise. So if they can develop some chemistry together, that's a, a top line that the Kings will have for 10, 15 plus years. So, but the thing with, with Byfield, if let's say Kaliev does start in the fourth line, I think it, it shows that and kind of gives Byfield a little bit more responsibility to elevate his game and maybe elevate the, the game of the line mates he's playing with. Cause I mean, we kind of know what Alex I follow is he's, he's going to be a 40, 50, maybe 50 plus plus points score in the NHL. And he's going to do really good at forechecking and, and play really good in, in the corners and in the dirty areas. Uh, with Byfield, he kind of needs a scorer to play alongside of him. Uh, he seems to be more of a playmaker uh, in, in, in his early start to his career. So with Kaliev there, it just made a lot of sense because you want to have Kaliev get more opportunities and then also develop that chemistry with them. So I think a fourth line of Lazat, Lemieux, and Grunstrom, it just, to me, looks and sounds like a fourth line in the NHL. I mean, you have a bunch of bruisers and you have Lazat who's willing to do whatever it takes to get the puck and hound the puck as much as he can. So with Lemieux and Grunstrom down there too, they're, they're big bodies that are willing to throw their weight around and, and kind of cause a little havoc down there. So I I think that would be a a fun fourth line to watch. And it's not going to be probably as productive as it would be when Cali was on there, but you hopefully get that production on the third line with Byfield and uh, I follow Dark horse for the fourth line, I think you could look at is uh, Lemieux. Yeah, he's he got signed back, but Grunstrom, I think, got, has the first choice there. But uh, you know, you have a guy that can take it through the neutral zone in Kupari, and he showed a lot of flashes in there and have a little bit of offensive threat in that fourth line. And he's not afraid to throw his body around; he's a little bit bigger body. So I think that might be a little dark horse for that line as well. Can we just have well, like a fifth line of Jared Anderson, oh. Dolan, Bellardi, and Kupari. That'd yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> only, only, only suit up three defensemen. Yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> all right. So we're, you know, Joe doesn't. It's not a fan of the hypotheticals, but this is all hypothetical right here, all the time on the Dowdy effect. So we we a lot of fans are coming in here talking with Fiala and how just it's going to trickle down points. You're going to see Ayafalo go to the third line. You're going to see a lot of these guys where the points are just going to trickle down. Obviously, when you add 80, an 80 point player to the lineup, uh, lines get shuffled, better players get pushed down, uh, which is what you need when you're a competing team. Well, the Dowdy effect being the fact that he was injured most of the season, he was playing very well, and then the offense seemed to stop when he was taken out of the lineup. Now, there was flashes from Dursey, flashes from Jordan Spence, but not as consistent as what we seen we saw from Drew Dowdy in the beginning of the season. Are we going to see the trickle-down effect here regarding Dowdy and the offense coming from the blue line uh, with a full, healthy season? 
Or is he just going to play his part and then we still need to see improvements from other players in the bottom four? I think it's going to matter. Uh, I think that Dowdy is going to the, – the offense from the blue line is going to improve because Dowdy is going to have a healthy season and Dowdy's going to do what he does. He's the best offensive defenseman that they have. He's going to run the first power play. And if he plays like he did last season, then he's going to be a very productive player. So just by default, the the, the uh, points are going to go up. I think it's they're more likely to go up because you have, you know, assuming he signs, Jersey should play a larger role, and he looked very comfortable in the on the offensive side of things. Could probably get a lot of PP two time, and I think somebody that is probably overlooked in this discussion that a lot of times is being discarded even by me at times earlier uh and you know months ago is sean walker is a offensive minded defenseman he's very good in the offensive zone he has some question marks in his game on the on the back end of it and his his zone entry defense and the d zone but in the offensive zone he is a a productive offensive zone player so hypothetically you know if you're looking at an anderson dowdy uh, and then either Walker or Dersey paired with Roy, because I think you could see either one of those two. And then Alex Adler paired with the other one, Dersey or Walker. I think you now have three legitimate offensive defensemen in Doughty, Walker, and Dersey. Whereas before, they didn't really have that. They had Doughty. The right side had Doughty, Roy, and Walker. And so you had two of them, but nobody on the left side was an offensive defenseman. You know, it wasn't Mata, it wasn't Adler, it wasn't Bjornfoot, and it's not Anderson. So I think just by the sheer fact that they've now got a third guy that can bring a little bit more offense uh, with a healthy Walker, that could potentially play a little bit bigger of a role than than Doughty from a trickle down. I think Doughty's going to be Doughty and probably lead, you know, the, uh, he'll lead the defense in points, right? But I think as big of impact is is what Walker and Dersey can do, bringing offense to the table. I think it creates a lot more balance as opposed to just elevating some other players' games. It kind of balances the level, the playing field a little bit. Because Drew Doughty, if he has the type of season, the type of start of the season that he had last year, I mean, it'll be it'll be fun to watch it, see if he's able to do that and replicate that throughout the entire season this year. But yeah, obviously Sean Dersey, I think this will benefit him the most because. Now you don't have to have Sean Dersey quarterbacking power play one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can play him a little bit less minutes in power play two, which is probably better suited for. And Drew Doughty's probably got the better game for the power play one unit. Um, but with Dersey, I, I think this helps him the most. And uh, the biggest X factor is the player you just mentioned, Joe, is Sean Walker. Because we kind of just don't even really talk about him that much because we haven't even really seen him play in quite some time. He got injured so early that we've kind of almost forgotten about him. And now the fact that Rob Blake has almost has come out and said that Sean Walker's. I mean, we were almost talking, expecting him to be traded because where where was he going to play? He's a right shot D man, and you had all these great right shot uh, defenders, especially with how Sean Dersey played, and then Jordan Spence uh, impact in the NHL, and Brant Clark still waiting. So now that Sean Walker is going to be playing on the left side, that's going to be uh, something to watch on the on the defensive end because we saw how good Drew Doughty was. We saw what Sean Dersey could do. We just talked about Mikey Anderson and Matt Roy. Those are all players that we kind of know what their role is, and Alex Edler too. But now that you have Sean Walker in the mix, is he going to bring more offense offense to the def- to the defensive end um, with Drew Doughty back in the mix? Because I, 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 Sean Walker, I mean, he's a great player, and he's, he's played really well and been a producer offensively. I think he had like 15-plus points in the month of March for that a couple years ago. So – I mean, yeah, if Sean Walker can elevate his game, I think that would be huge for the Kings defense. He he grades out Walker does as a and I'm kind of excluding last year just because of, you know, he got hurt when he got hurt the he just didn't play a ton of games last year. But the years before, if you combine them, like in again, I, I, I want to stress, like in the offensive zone when it comes to, you know, primary assists and, and primary points and, and at five on five, like he he was a pretty productive player like maybe a bit under the radar or underappreciated i think again there's there's deficiencies in his in his overall game where i think perhaps if you pair him with matt roy that could make some sense or if you pair him frankly with alex edler that could make some sense so i because i don't think it's you know i don't know who it's going to be walker or Dersey that plays on the left side um 
again, assuming they get signed. And obviously, we haven't mentioned there's a couple other guys here in, in consideration in Bjornfoot, Movarari, and there's the wild card of Brant Clark. But I, I think if we look at the best six defensemen for the Kings right now, I think these are the guys uh, that we've been talking about here. And I, I don't know. I think Movarari slash Bjornfoot is like your, your seventh defenseman. And I maybe Clark gets his nine games, maybe. But I, I I don't know that I'm expecting him at this point. So I I think it's I, I think the depth of it gets better, um, and I I think a lot of it has to do with Walker. I think Which the is six... hard to say because we we've had this guy written off as like uh, a guy to free up cap space for so long. And it's like mm-hmm. when you think about it now that as we see we're getting closer to training camp and like you know, you dig into Randon proposed this question to us and you kind of look back, you dig into some of his numbers over the last few years. It's like, this guy is, he's not a perfect player. Um, he spent a lot of time on the third pair, but maybe being elevated to, if he goes to the second pair with Matt Roy, like, you know, may, maybe that helps him a little bit. And now he's got a lot more offense around him. You know, when he was playing with the Kings a couple of years back before, you know, the injury, it was a little bit of a different team. Now you've got some, some, a little bit more talent. You've got a, an older and a more engaged Kempe. Fiala's here. Arvidsson's here. Moore's come out of nowhere. Obviously filled the nose. So there's a different crop of players now uh, around him that, that in theory could, uh, could help as well. So, you know, Walker goes from this guy that's kind of written off by too many people, including me at times, that maybe <laughs> don't write him off so quickly yet. Sean Walker, comeback player of the year, according to Joe, um, <laughs> coming coming next season near you. And that is an interesting thing. And, you know, I think I think with the exact opposite here of what the four group, because I do think you're going to see a lot of trickle-down effect from Fiala on the first line, where I think you're right. I think the bottom four – and having Dursey more consistently there, uh, Walker coming back, which I wrote him off. I thought he was a trade piece, uh, mainly because I feel like they do need to give Brent Clark nine games unless he's absolutely abysmal in camp just to kind of get that feeling of what he can do. And if ultimately they send him back, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's just that the bottom part's going to be there. And then you look at, they don't have to have Edler in there for 80 games a season. Like you, you trust Movari. Um, I'm sure Bjornfoot's going to get some time up there. And so like, if you can get Edler for 35, 40 games where his legs are fresh all the time, he was a quality player last season. Uh, took a while for him to get his first point, but I thought he was somewhat productive offensively in the middle part of the season. And then the wild card, as much as we say, Brent Clark is the wild card the health of Sean Walker. And like you said, like his sporting cast is a whole lot better on the forward group than it was two years ago. So could his offensive abilities be amplified by the fact that the talent around him is that much better? And I think we should remember that one of these guys, Derzier Walker is going to be playing the, the, I say this as if we know for sure with the caveat of this is based on this conversation we're having that, and, and the fact that, Blake has said there's going to be a right shot D playing on the left side. There's going to be a right shot D playing on the left side. Now, I know both those guys have had some experience in the past, but it's generally not been on the regular, right? They may be able to spot in a game, you know, play a couple of games, play some shifts there. But now if you're asking one of Walker or Jersey to play game in, game out on the left side, that is an adjustment, and that is going to be different. You think about it, you're catching passes on your back end. You're having to make passes on your back end in the D zone. And a guy like Walker, you look at his underlying numbers and some and dig into some of his stuff. He's not a great zone exit player to begin with. And now if you have him on his backhand side, does that make things worse? Does that things make things more tricky? Does that mean he should play on this right side with Edler? These are some things to start to think about. And I just I don't want to like I'm not gonna say they can't do it. I just don't want to take for granted that there's a reason why left shot D generally are left-handed and right shot D generally are right-handed. I know there are exceptions, but in general, there's a reason for that. I mean, it, it just makes the, the puck movement that much, that much easier. So I don't want to totally gloss over the fact that it, it, there's going to be an adjustment level at some point for these guys, just out of sheer playing on their offhand side. Yeah. And I think keeping Sean Walker kind of handcuffs uh, Brent Clark's ability to make an impact because if you let's say you keep Sean Walker in the lineup and you want to play Brian Clark, then you're going to have to move, I guess, a Sean Dersey out or Matt Roy out, Drew Doughty. I don't see any of those players coming out of the lineup. <laughs> they, they play pretty well. So 
I mean, with Brandon Clark and or with Sean Walker in the lineup, you already had one right shot D-man play on the left side. Right. Let's say you add Brandt Clark, you're you're not going to take out one of those three players I just mentioned and move him to the left side and have two right shot D-man play on the left side. So, yeah, I don't know. With Brandt Clark, it's it's as much as you want to see him play, and, and and I do too. I mean, he's the eighth overall pick a couple years ago. We've talked about how good he is offensively. Kings obviously lack some offensive production from the defensive side. So, I mean, it's tough because you want to see Brandt Clark play. You want to see him make an impact. You want to see some of these first-round picks start to – make a little bit more of an impact in the NHL too for the Kings, but there's really just no room. So I guess right now the biggest battle is probably going to be like the seventh defensive spot between maybe a Bjornfoot, Moviari, even yep. say Jordan Spence even. <clears throat> but right now for Blank Clark, I just don't see an avenue for him to make it, uh, get a roster spot for the Kings. And again, who knows? Maybe come training camp, depending on how things look, maybe Walker Jersey, it just ain't a fit on the left side, yeah, right? And yeah, that, and that plan gets scrapped. Who knows? Like, it, you have to wait. Because you could see Walker as the 7th D, right? You could see Walker as the 7th D, and you'd yeah. have Edler, Bjorn, Footer, Mavari on the left, and you just kind of yep. deal with it yeah, at the, that point. Or Jersey, for that matter. You're, yeah. you're, not, you're not really paying these players to be like top four player and top four defensemen. And Sean Walker's making like $2.1 million. Alex Edler's making the league minimum. So if you have to bring out a player like mm-hmm. Edler or Sean Walker, I mean, you're not losing. I mean, as, as much as we want to talk about how good Sean Walker is offensively, he's not He's not like Kale McCarr or anything. So Right. Well, but the, what I'll say is like uh, there's a chance. I mean – there's a chance you 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 at least lose a little bit of that offense, like we said that that they just haven't had, you know, in, in the glory days of the Kings, right? They was had such great balance. They had a a, a, de, a defensive defenseman and an offensive defenseman on all three pairs, and they just haven't had that really since then. Um, and Walker allows this to happen if he's playing on his offhand or Jersey for that matter. But if you pull Walker out or Jersey out, and then you have a left side of Anderson. Adler and then either Bjornford or Mor- or Morverari. I, I mean, I, there's a potential for a hit offensively. I think there is. I mean, Bjornford has shown nothing from an offensive, very little from an offensive side. Morverari is that kind of is what he is. I like to, I like to lazily. He's say a facilitator. He's not a point producer. He's True. A facilitator. That's the thing. That, that, that's why I'm a little like more optimistic. And Morverari is a bit more of a. I think he can move the puck more efficiently. So I don't know. I think there is the potential to lose some offense there. So I think that does create a little bit of an issue, but it's, it's, it's an interesting training camp. Richard comes really in here like- and said, Mavari and Durze would be a great third pairing with Edler sub it in every now and then. And that's what they paid him to be. You know, they're paying very much money to come in here and, and start 80 games. I think Edler is going to be a nice little, uh, auxiliary piece there coming every now and then. Mike Yell coming in the chat. Go Kings. Yes, go Kings. Thank you for coming in and listening. And I think Edler plays here. a lot. I, I think Edler plays. Right? Let's pretend he's healthy for 82 games. Like, I think he plays 70. You So you would take the over or under of 65 and you would say over if he's healthy? Assuming health. Assuming health. I, I, I think he plays a big chunk of games. Like Even if you were to sit him hypothetically on some back-to-backs, that can't be more than – what 10 to 15 games maybe i think the, i think the kings have 10 back to back so okay so yeah i i if he's healthy yeah i think i think he he's going to play i mean he was a, i was pleasantly very pleasantly surprised with with how effective edler was now will he hold up over the season yada yada that's fair questions i but i Russ, what do you think I, over under 65 i, I actually take i i take the under I took the under, and the only reason I do it is because I'd rather keep Edler healthy and rested for the end of the season toward the playoffs. Because, I mean, we watched the playoffs; he he looked a little slow. He looked a little he, slow. He did. He looked a lot of slow. If you remember <laughs> training camp, I was like, trying oh, to be what, nice we, here. "What did we do here in training camp last year? Yeah. In preseason, I should say." But, but, but again, he was really good, and I think. Given the injury situation he had, you know, I, I could give him a pass. Looking a little off against Edmonton. But again, Todd McClellan is going to go with what he trusts. And I don't think Alex Edler is here to be a bystander, to be a veteran guy floating around the locker room collecting some money. This guy is going to – he was effective on the ice, and until he's not effective on the ice or hurt, he's going to play. Yeah, 57% in Corsi, 57% on expected goals percentage. I mean, I don't think anybody really saw that coming from no. Alex Edler. No. But, I mean, the thing is, is – I really, out of all, almost all the rookies, it's it's 
surprising to me that the most surprising rookie to me was Jacob Moriarty, just because of he came out of nowhere, really. I mean, Sean Dersey, we kind of knew where he was. He's a second-round pick, too, so he had a great year. Um, Arthur Kaliev, yeah, I mean, he was kind of a rookie, but we, we kind of all expected him to be yeah. a pretty good goal scorer in the NHL. But Jacob Moriarty, I mean, I remember that first game in Pittsburgh when the Kings were kind of going through all that injury mm-hmm. problems and all that. I think we were all kind of collectively just like, oh, man, this is this is going to be a loss. Look at our defense. Jacob Moriari, I mean, this is going to be a first game in the NHL, and we don't really know. I mean, he hasn't really been that, I guess, great of a point producer in that. I don't know if you listen to that making. I don't know if you listen to that making rain episode because we had a party down there. We're like, Moriari's getting in the game, shooting fireworks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you watch him play, and he makes all the simple plays. Exactly, all the simple plays, and I remember like. I was sitting in the press box and I'm sitting next to Andrew Noel and I'm just like, man, Moriari is such a fun player to watch because he's almost like Phil Deneau on the ice and very quiet. He not, yeah, exactly. And it, that's what you want from a defensive, uh, deep defenseman is you, if you're playing quiet minutes, we're not making those kind of big mistakes. Like we saw Mikey Anderson get beat one on one countless times with Moviari, He was playing really well defending, especially toward the later end of the season where we needed wins. So, I really like what Moriarty is, and I'd rather see him in the lineup or as a seventh defenseman over a player like Toby Bjornfoot and maybe have him switch out with Edler on times. If I was – that makes two of us, Russ, and maybe three. I mean, you're talking to the head of the Jacob Moriarty fan club here. The problem is I don't know where Todd McClellan ranks on the Jacob Moriarty fan club. We haven't heard that yet. And the the, the point being is, is as long as Alex Edler is here – and and healthy, I just think his numbers getting called over Moverari. If maybe it's it speaks to Moverari that if they do keep him as the seventh defenseman, that they just trust that we can have him be a seventh defenseman and not play regularly, plug him in and know we're fine. You know, that in mm-hmm. a weird way it could be a compliment to Moverari, but I really don't think Edler is here to be a seventh defenseman. So I think if he is healthy, he is going to play. Um, so I wouldn't I, be mad I, at a 40, 40, 50, 50 split. I mean, if, if I would be already played just, 41 I just games don't think each. that's going to, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm with you. I, I don't disagree with that. I just don't think that that's the case. I get the sense that McClellan is probably a little higher on Mobiari than we think. And how can you the first people signed? Wasn't he one of the first people signed? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's why it, it was almost surprising. Cause we, we talked about this defenseman, but for them to bring back Mobiari, a player who played only a few handful of games and isn't really expected to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. The fact that they were so quick to bring him back, I think that speaks a lot of volume to mm-hmm. what the franchise thinks about Moviari <laughs> as the player. Because I think if you if you're losing if you're taking out a player like Alex Edler and you lose maybe a little bit of the Corsi that he's able to bring and then play driving that he's able to bring that he brought last year. I think if if you put in Moviari, I'm hoping that the offensively the forwards kind of pick up the pace. I mean, we're, we're expecting with Kevin Fiala now in, Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kelly have on their sophomore years pretty much. Uh, you see a little bit more production from the from the forward group than you would need, I guess, from the defensive side. So, I mean, if you have to play Moviari 40-so games, I wouldn't be mad at it because from what I've seen so far, the sample size looks great. Yeah, I, I, I'm in on Moviari, and that's, that's one of the big reasons why – the, you know, I think that I prefer him to be up as the seventh defenseman over Bjornfoot because, frankly, I think I know it's been a short sample, but just watching him in Ontario, watching the way he's looked in the NHL, he just looks a much, much more comfortable and confident player in what his game is. And, you know, again, we've seen Rob Blake use the waivers, right? The year before, Jared Anderson Dolan was a lock on the fourth line. Everybody loved him, and all of a sudden he was sent down. Bjornfoot's been around in the NHL now for a few years. He's got to be a lock to make the team, right? Not necessarily. He can go down and not have to, to to clear waivers, so they may take advantage of that. And I think that's probably fine asset management, particularly when Bjornfoot isn't knocking the doors off the wall with his play, and you got other options that are better, frankly. Yeah, we'll see how it works out here. Next, the hockey starts this week, guys. Uh, rookie tournament coming in next week. We'll be talking actual hockey about a lot of these young studs. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but we're, the roster came out and, you know, we're going to see Byfield, we're going to see the Turcots and, and the Clark. So the first round picks coming in hot. Uh, hopefully they get some playing time there and really show what it is. I just, 
I'm hoping for, uh, I really want to see what Brent Clark has to offer and see mm -hmm. if this is the beginning of him making a statement to make the roster uh, that would start now, considering that we didn't get to see him this summer. Uh, but guys, great episode. I think we got to hit a lot of good points there. Got one contract left to go in Sean Dersey before camp starts. Uh, go check out all of our articles and the player profiles at HockeyRoyalty.com. We have merch and everything up there. Russell's trying to cook up some new stuff, so keep an eye out for that. You see our Twitter handles rolling and scrolling across the bottom. JW Paterino at NHL Russell, at Rando Commando 24 Thank you guys for listening and supporting. Up over 300 subscribers on YouTube. That's because of you guys. So appreciate you guys listening and reading our content. We are so blessed to have fans like you guys out there pumping hockey royalty left and right. So really appreciate that. Uh, next week, we're going to be see, same bat, uh, bat channel here talking about the LA Kings and the rookie tournament. So, uh, come at us. And, uh, if you guys got any fan questions, you can always hit us up on Twitter and we might throw some of that on the, on the show there. So great show guys. Pleasure talking to you. And as always go Kings. Go Kings. <laughs>